0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a Bizarro World episode of the Witten Whiskey Cast, where in a first for the past 46 episodes, we are not going to be reviewing whiskey. Spoiler alert, so, you know, if you're not interested in that, just turn off now. Yeah. But uh, what we are going to be doing this week is martinis. I, of course, am one of your two hosts, Marcus City Jr., drinking a proper gentleman's martini this week. And I'm joined, as always, by my godless Philistine co-host, DJ Gagnon.
1: Drinking a gin martini as the only way you should be drinking martinis. Thank you. Oh, just,
0: God. As you could see, basically, you know, if you were here last week for F1 and Whiskey Part 2, and actually, even before that, I, I think it all actually started... In the Drag Racing and Whiskey episode. It did. We kind of we went off on a, a side tangent there where the old man had to bring us
1: back and was like, boys, boys, boys it, there's booze. It's good either way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but, but the old man's not here to save you this week, Mark.
0: Oh, oh here we go. Uh, as you could tell, there's been a bit of a row in the co-hosts of the and uh, Whiskey cast over <laughs> martinis. So we are going to just break from tradition pretty much completely this week. And we're going to dive into the history, we're going to dive into how you prepare them. We're even going to argue over what goes into a martini, because, you know, some of us like a martini, and some of us just put vodka in a glass. So, uh, you know, we're going to get into that, Uh, but before we rip each other's throats out, what'd you do this week, buddy?
1: Uh, It was a good week. I finished the first of my summer cordials. Uh, I... It came out pretty well. I have a lot of notes, and I'm going to make it better next time. But I finished a Strawberry Shortcake Cordial. Very happy with it. I've seen photos of this, folks. It looks delicious. I'm not a
0: sweet, foo-foo drink kind of guy, but I want some of this.
1: Yeah, it's violently pink. It's still cloudy from the milk, so... I, once I got past the initial milk infusion part of it, I was just like, I'm going to put this back in the fridge. So uh, I did the strawberry infusion in the fridge. It took me like a week to figure out how to filter everything. Uh, but I took lots of notes. I'm going to try it uh, next time I do something like this with a milk liqueur. I'm going to try it with oat milk and coconut milk and some of the milks that are a little bit more shelf stable. Because I would like to be able to hand people a bottle of this and be able to travel with it, and uh, regular old dairy milk is not as shelf stable as I would like it to be. So no, (laughs) no. Uh, But other than that, it was uh, it was a good weekend. It was super rainy here. Uh, Did you get hit by the tropical storm too? Oh God, it's
0: yeah. It's done nothing but rain, and we're supposed to. We're actually under a flash flood warning again tonight. We're supposed to get hit. Pretty much any minute as we record this. So, yeah, it's been like seven days and seven nights.
1: Amazing. Yeah, so it's 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 been a lot, but finally I think my roof is repaired enough to not let any water in, so that's felt pretty damn good. That is satisfying, yes. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, not not too much. Uh, I, I don't feel like I did a whole lot this past week. Um, just getting into work stuff, uh, finishing off our... Our short campaign for D anD D and prepping for the next one. So, how about you, man? This weekend was probably the closest uh, in the last you know
0: year and a half that we felt to being normal. Uh, you know, Thursday night I went out to my club. I went out to Conrad's, knocked a few back, got to hang out with some of the regulars there. Friday, the old man and I went to a giant flea market swap meet car show type thing which of course I hadn't really been many of for the last couple of years oh wow Uh, got a couple deals on some you know parts and trim pieces he needed for the dart Uh, Saturday was a lot of fun with work I got to run around and basically do my own version of the American Pickers I was able to secure some pretty old and pretty rare artifacts including a cabinet that I from my best guess from the evidence I have and everything dates from about 1810 or so and uh, a few other pieces, and then Sunday, the old man and I went to a local hill climb that has been running off and on for 115 years. Um, at one point in 1907, it was the largest automobile race in America. It's quite a bit smaller than that now, but it's still good to go out and, uh, you know, support the locals and to see a different different kind of flying altogether.
1: Is this, this isn't the Rally in the Valley or whatever it is, is it? No, no, this is the Giant's Despair Hill Climb, (laughs) uh, which is... Such a good name. It it is such
0: a good name. It actually was originally the Wilkes-Barre Memorial Hill Climbing Contest, which is nowhere near as good. Uh, But in the early years, when it was very big, it was covered nationally. And a reporter for the New York World came down and interviewed one of the drivers in the second or third running. And he was quoted as saying that the hill uh, provided a giant despair to all the participants. Oh, wow. And the name the name stuck ever since. So so we're there with that. I um, was able to go to a different state liquor store that had a little bit of a different inventory. And I picked up a couple of bottles for the next couple of episodes that I am very excited about. Nice. Uh, but I won't spoil any of that. And I was gifted some whiskey sticks, some aging sticks this week. Uh, from Mary, my friend Mary. So uh,
1: big shout out to her, and I think one of them's gonna go in the infinity bottle. I think we're, I'm, think I'm feeling froggy. Nice, yeah. Um, my buddy Chris, uh, for Christmas, she got me a couple of aging sticks, and I, I'm th- considering starting a an infinity bottle as well, uh, and doing some experiments with them. I, I got two, so I'm I'm curious that they're. I don't know how yours are, but they're cutting like a. Like a comb so you can get, like, the yes. maximum surface of the char. <laughs> yep, that that's the way these are. And I, it's
0: a two-pack, too. We must have the same ones. We it's might, like an orange yeah. and black pack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's the same one. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's ironic. All right, so I guess we'll get to the uh, drinks today, which is we already spoiled Neither one of us is doing whiskey. First time in, you know, 46 episodes, trailers, specials, everything combined. At least one of us has always done something with whiskey in it, but we're not today. So what godless abomination of a martini
1: are you drinking? Yeah, we are truly whiskey adjacent this week. I don't even know if we're that, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, uh, Mark and I talked at the end of last episode, and uh, we decided to split between the two main kinds of martinis. So I am drinking a gin martini, which is my personal favorite. I've had vodka martinis. I find them kind of boring, so I prefer gin. Uh, so I went with, I, I, dug a, I dug through a bunch of my recipe books, and I got through some of the cocktail codecs, which I'll talk about later uh, in the episode and uh, they had one called the Ideal Gin Martini. Uh, so it's a two-to-one, uh, two of gin, one of uh, uh, dry vermouth, uh, a dash of orange bitters, and a lemon twist. Stirred, stirred, and then poured into your uh, martini or coupe. They recommended a Nicanora glass, I don't know anybody who owns Nick and Nora glasses. I do not own a Nick and Nora glass, so I wouldn't. Fuck the Nick Coop and glass. fuck Nora. Um, fuck their glasses too. Yeah, I I do. I like the idea of a Nick and Nora glass because it is just kind of a smaller martini glass. But uh, no, fi- I, I like drinking out of coupe glasses. I a martini is a drink that gets me drunk very quickly, and uh, I find martini glasses impossible to drink out of by the time I get to the end of my beverage, so I prefer a goop glass, personally. Uh, so, this week, I went with uh, Monkey 47 Gin. Uh, it's really good. It comes in, uh, it only comes in, like, a 375 mil or a liter. Like, there's no fifth. There's just the tiny bottle of the huge one. Uh, and it comes with a cork, which is relatively rare uh, for for spirits, but... Um, it's really good. It's, it's a botanical forage gin, uh, kind of like, uh, Hendrix or Magellan. Uh, and the Ford, uh, botanical in it is lingonberries, you know, along with juniper and all the other crap that goes in a gin. Uh, so it, it's actually really good. It's a nice smooth martini because I stirred it. Um, and, uh, it's really good. I, I have never tried throwing bitters in and a single dash of orange bitters. Uh, it, it cuts some of the the edge off of it a little bit and provides it with some some different flavor profiles. I think it really compensates the gin pretty well. So I highly recommend it if you're if you're ever uh, looking to make a gin cocktail, do a two to one and, d- and toss a dash of orange in there. How about you, buddy? My my my. Well, as you'd imagine, I've done this properly.
0: Uh huh. Improperly, so. I'm sure. Let's hear it. I, I am being your traditional gentleman this evening. You probably hear me in the background puffing on my pipe. Um, and I have made just the quintessential Wall Street executives vodka martini. <laughs> now, uh, before we start this, I do want to correct one thing. DJ said that, you know, we discussed it, we chose to make two different martinis. No, 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 no. What happened was (laughs) when we went off air last week uh, and Nick was still with us, he was still on the call, we began discussing martinis and we realized that without planning it, that the two of us, when we make a normal martini or what what either one of us considers to be a martini are such radically different drinks (laughs) that we could make such a gag out of this without even really trying.
1: Yes. So,
0: so we didn't just sit down and say, "Okay, you do this, you do this." No, these are what we consider to be martinis.
1: Yeah, w- way
0: to break kayfabe, there, buddy. No, no, no. I don't want people to think this is a bit. <laughs> we legitimately <laughs> are this far apart when it comes to these things. Um, so uh, also full disclosure, and I'll break kayfabe on this just because you know this is supposed to be a whiskey podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't much care for vodka. I don't much care for gin. I don't really much care for martinis. If I order four or five martinis a year, it's a high year. Yeah. Uh, but of the two, I like gin less. Oh. I, I just don't, don't care for gin. Um, so I made a vodka martini. I use Tito's. Now, the nice thing, and this is going to be the first of many hot takes today, the nice thing about vodka is every vodka tastes exactly the same. Uh, so you could use whatever you have in the house. Uh, uh, At Conrad's, Tito's is very popular, and that was on sale, so I bought a bottle of Tito's. Uh, Martini and Rossi, white vermouth. It's weird to have white vermouth in the house. Being a Manhattan man, I always have the red vermouth, but it's weird (laughs) to have white vermouth in the house. I had to make a special trip to go buy it. Uh, And an olive. That's it. Shaken. Very well. Very well. And poured into a glass. You heretic! Uh, I use the proper ratio, three to one.
1: That's n- nobody has that as a ratio. Literally every book I've read has that as a ratio. Literally every book I've read. We are not going to agree tonight, ladies
0: and gentlemen. Uh, four and a half ounces of vodka to one and a half ounces of vermouth. Sweet
1: Jesus!
0: Uh, it is actually a little sweet. Uh, you know, the the olive and the vermouth takes the edge off the vodka. It's not bad. It, 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 it's blended pretty well. It's not really all that cloudy, aside from the fingerprints on the martini glass. I don't know how you could drink a cocktail that has its own glass, not out of the glass.
1: Very easily, actually. <laughs> Much easier than if I were drinking out of the glass. Um, but this isn't bad, and this is what I would order uh, if I were to order
0: a martini out somewhere. Although, again, as I said, you know, that's a very rare occasion, if at that. But it's not bad. It's not whiskey, but it's not bad.
1: <laughs>
0: so there you go. So I have my pipe. I have my martini. I've got my lime. I've got my orange crush, as the, as the uh, song goes.
1: That's fair. Now, before we actually get, uh, get into proving why Mark is wrong about everything, uh, Mark, what do you got for martini news? Well, I thought
0: we'd go whole hog with the theme. (laughs) You know, I was doing research on the history of martinis. I was doing research on shaken versus stirred. I was doing research on ratios and this and that. And I said, fuck it. Why are we going to do whiskey news and an otherwise uh, non-whiskey related show? So I just Googled martinis in the news to see what came up. And the first thing that wasn't a god-awful chocolate or espresso martini recipe, (laughs) which I'm not even going to dignify with a response, (laughs) but the first thing uh, that came up was an article. Now, full disclosure, it is from the Daily Beast, so take it with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. But uh, the headline is, Cocktails in the Time of COVID, How the Simple Martini Saved My Bar. And it is all about the uh, bar in Miami called the Jaguar Sun, which is a wonderfully Aztec name. I love it. Uh, And uh, these two proprietors uh, had opened a bar in 2018, late 2018. So they had one year, they 2019, and then boom, 2020 hit with COVID. They were closed for so long. And when they reopened, they were not doing very well. So what they did was they moved out of their little lobby bar space and into a... Uh, basically, what this makes it sound is like sort of an outdoor gazebo event space place that could hold about 100 people, 150 people. And all they served was steak, rare, mm-hmm. Caesar salads, and martinis. They, they cut their menu down to that. And because of that, they made more money uh, in the six months after they reopened than they had at any other point in the three-year history of the bar. That's amazing. <laughs> Um, And the closing paragraph I really liked. It said, it sounds ridiculously straightforward and obvious, but the focus of too many craft bars has all too often been on the obscure and the novel. And while there is certainly room for that, I will never forget that with our backs against the wall, it was simply ice-cold martinis and rare steaks that kept us open and kept our staff employed. That's fantastic. Isn't it, though? It fits the theme, and it's kind of a feel-good little bit of news. And that article's about a week old. So if you're down in Miami, hunt out the Jaguar Sun. Go get a steak and get a martini. Yes, please do. However you drink it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that actually sounds really good.
0: All right. Doesn't it, though? Yeah. What do you have for tools of the trade this week?
1: All right, so I figured I would uh, touch on one of the final uh, tools that you would need to make a proper martini, which is a mixing glass. And when I say mixing glass, I don't mean the traditional Boston shaker or the uh, uh, martini shaker, even though it's named martini, don't do it. I'm talking about stirring I did. martinis. And uh, we I haven't yet talked about strainers, I believe. Um, so I'm going to get to that in a different episode. But mixing glasses are actually really kind of cool, uh, regardless of what you believe. You just broke yours. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Uh, regardless of what you believe about stirring martinis, there I think we can both agree that there are drinks that you stir. Yes. So even if you don't stir a martini, there are drinks that you stir, and in order to really get a nice stir on a cocktail, uh, you want a mixing glass. Now, these, I, I like referring to them uh, affectionately as beakers, um, because they look very much like a cylinder beaker that you would use in, like, you know, high school chemistry. And uh, they, some of them are very ornate. They come in these, like, beautiful crystal with carvings all over them. You can get them themed. I've seen metal ones. I've seen um, pottery. I've seen all sorts of good stuff, but most of them are glass or crystal. And uh, they've got a spout on one side of the top, and it's just big. And the idea is that uh, because it's not fluted like a pint glass or um, a mixing tin on a, on a shaker, uh, it's just a straight cylinder, you can get it in around the ice um, and, and get it stirring very quickly. And so when you stir a cocktail, you generally... you know We, we talked about um, bar spoons and the spiral that you have in a bar spoon... Uh, But with a mixing glass, uh, you you load it up with ice, you pour everything that you want in there, uh, and you start stirring it, and you can get it going really quickly, uh, which is something that's not very true of, you know, your traditional pint-style shaking glass. Um, And that means that you can chill something very quickly, you can avoid dilution, uh, and then you use a different kind of strainer than you would use for a shaker, and we'll talk about that probably next week. Uh, and then you strain it into your your glass. So they're really cool, uh, but they can also get kind of expensive. I've seen very expensive crystal ones out there. Uh, so if you are setting up your bar on a budget and you want to get yourself a mixing glass, but you don't want to spend a ton of money, uh, one of the best tips I ever got that I'm passing on to you is go out, and find either Bodum or Groche are the two uh, big uh, French press coffee maker companies. And you can buy a replacement carafe for one of their French presses. get one of the bigger ones and that it works perfectly as a cocktail mixing glass. but you're, you're gonna spend like maybe 5,10 bucks on a replacement carafe as compared to like the 20 or 30, you might spend on a decent mixing glass, and you know they, they get up into the hundreds. So um, if you want a mixing glass, you want to start do a starter bar, get one of the, those. It looks fine. It's even probably get some measurements on it for you. So uh, you can also go for a straight-up scientific beakers, but um, depending on, on where you are, it might be hard to source those. Mixing glasses. Tell your well, friends. Well,
0: there you have it. Look. Let- Little by little, we're going to have a fully outfitted bar for our listeners. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: We've done spoons, we've done mixing glasses, we've done carafes, we've done shakers. You taught us how to make simple syrup. You taught us how to cut and directionally freeze ice. (laughs)
1: Uh,
0: We're getting there little by little. I've been quite enjoying the tools of the trade as we go.
1: Uh, It's my new favorite thing. I enjoy researching it every week. I couldn't tell at all, so (laughs) sarcastically. So, Mark. All right, should we get to the sparring at hand? We should. Now, before Mark goes off into history, I do want to talk a little bit about some bar science here, and I'm sure Mark has found some history that will refute this, Um, but I want to talk a little bit, uh, take a step outside of martinis and talk a little bit about when you shake and when you stir a cocktail. And then we can apply it and argue. Okay. So, uh, shaken is you know you throw in the ice in the shaker, you you create the vacuum seal, you shake it uh, vigorously, and then you strain it into your glass, usually over ice. Depending on what you're shaking, uh, with a stir, it's in a carafe. You're uh, you're using a bar spoon, lots of ice still, but you're stirring it instead, and you're you're swirling it around the the mixing glass the general accepted understanding from everything that i read is that uh, a cocktail that is spirit forward tends to be stirred Uh, the reasoning there is that uh, you want to celebrate the spirit you want to provide a clean clear drink that highlights the spirit itself Uh, you want to preserve the balance generally uh, cocktail recipes that are spirit-forward have ratios that are meant to highlight and accentuate the, the spirit, you know, the, the, the whiskey, the vodka, the gin. Uh, and you don't want a lot of aeration. Uh, I, I think whether you shake or stir a cocktail, you, it has a different mouthfeel. It might be subtle to some people, but it does have a different mouthfeel. Uh so generally with those sort of drinks you don't wanna dilute it very much. Um a, a number of stirred cocktails are served straight up. Uh so you you wanna just you wanna get it cold, but you wanna get out without adding too much else to it. Uh other cocktails might be mix-forward drinks, uh where the balance might be a little bit closer to the middle or even more towards the mix. And you're generally shaking to do a bunch of different things. There are egg white drinks where shaking uh, with the acid actually uh, kind of cooks the egg white a little bit while you're shaking it. Um, it there's uh, aerated drinks that get frothy. There's uh, citrus drinks that you're really smashing the, uh, the oils out of the citrus. Uh, there's... Uh, muddled drinks. you know we, we've talked about some muddled cocktails in the past, things that have like fruit or, or mint, uh, other herbs that you really want to smash and get the, the liquid out. Uh, and generally in those kinds of cocktails, the dilution is it, it's incorporated into the recipe. You know we've come to these recipes through uh, a long history of cocktail culture and unfortunately cocktail culture is very apocryphal. you know somebody, uh, you know, the, the, you look at a cocktail, 70 different people claim to have created it. Um, everyone's got their We're going to get ratios. to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but generally with a mixed forward drink that you're going to shake, uh, the dilution tones the spirit back a little bit. Spirits are strong. They're very, very strong. Whiskey, vodka, gin, rum, they're all uh, intense and in your face. And when you're mixing it and trying to get that balance right, sometimes you need that dilution. Uh, And ultimately, with a shake, you're getting it down in temperature much quicker. So as we're talking, my martini is already a lot warmer than Mark's is. He shook his. He's got a much colder martini uh, that he's sipping on right now. Um, So generally, with those kinds of drinks, especially with a shaken drink that's going to be poured over ice, you want to get it ice cold as quickly as possible so that once it's sitting in the glass... it it doesn't dilute as quickly as it would have if you stirred it. So that's kind of some bar science. Uh, When we talk about martinis, I personally think you should stir them because it's a uh, a spirit-forward drink, and generally martinis are not uh, drunk on the rocks.
0: They can no. Neither one of us is actually doing that. That's the one thing I think we agree on.
1: uh, You can drink a martini on the rocks, and we can talk about that. But there's actually a there are two different kinds of martini glasses. One is long stemmed, and one looks kind of like a fluted rocks glass. And you can, if you've got the fluted rocks glass uh, version of the martini glass, that's generally for on the rocks. Because with the with the stems, you grip, you grip at the stem. You grip it pretty close to the bulb of the the drink where, where the cocktail is. But you're not warming it with your hand, with something that's on the rocks, like a rocks glass, or or something like you know whiskey. When Mark and I generally drink it neat, uh, you don't care about warming up the drink. So, it you can have your hand gripping it. So, uh. I tend to want my martinis straight up. I don't want them on the rocks. I like a clearer drink. I like it to be pretty crisp. If I don't want to be drinking a spirit forward cocktail, I'm not ordering a martini. So that's that's why I think they should be stirred. You wanna take the shaken side of things? Well, yeah.
0: Um you know, I've I was doing a lot of research on this the past 72 hours give or take and first let me just profess ignorance here I had no idea that the debate on this was so deep and was so heated oh yeah I went into this you know sort of as a bit you know oh we're gonna harass DJ because he makes his martinis different than I do and haha it'll be funny no. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, according to the internet, I should want DJ to die and go and kill him and his family, and he should do the same to me.
1: Yeah. Uh, remember, this is
0: very serious business.
1: Yeah. Th- this is almost part two of our toxic fandoms. Yes. Uh, you know, <laughs> Mark joked that all vodkas taste the same. I-, I would say there's basically two kinds of gin. So, <laughs> I mean, when we're talking whiskey, there's a billion whiskeys, and they all taste a bit different. Yeah. When you're the vodka and gin community don't have a whole lot to debate about. So this is what they argue about. So they get spicy about this.
0: Um, You had mentioned the temperature and chilling. Yes. And I think that is the biggest proponent, uh, biggest plus for shaking. Now, which is ironic because I'm usually the guy whiskey just needs a glass. It doesn't need anything. You know, I lived with our good friend Lou for, what, three years, four years, however the hell long it was, and we would argue constantly because he would like his drinks almost frozen and I'm like, damn it, it's too cold, just give me a glass or whatever it was. <laughs> but a martini is one of maybe three or four drinks that I want to be cold. It's because you don't uh, like vodka. Fair, but I probably <laughs> yeah. want it the same way if I, if I drank gin, but then of course I don't like gin either. Uh, The other thing is, you know, you talk about dilution. And, yes, it is true that shaking over ice, you will dilute the drink more in theory. Mm -hmm. And I say in theory because with the shaking, you control the level of dilution. You can experiment. Like, okay, I'm going to shake this one for five seconds, then I'm going to taste it. Now I'm going to shake this next one for ten seconds, and I'm going to taste it. You could actually – that's one of the few things that you could noticeably – taste the change of mm-hmm. so once you find a rhythm to shaking and how much you like it and this and that you can go from there and you could build your cocktail not just martinis but any cocktail uh the biggest knock i've seen online i don't understand is that it will be cloudy and i'm guessing that has something to do with the ice and the you know directional freezing mm-hmm. and the not clear ice the dj's already talked about I sent DJ pictures when I was done, and I assume he's going to use them for the Instagram and the Facebook. It's clear. You could see right through it. Yeah. So I don't understand the argument there about cloudiness. That, how, the boat left and I wasn't on that one. How long did you shake it? Uh, it was 12 to 15 seconds. It was until it got good and frosty.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's uh, one of the things that we can talk about here, too, is that I think it all kind of depends on... It depends on your ice. It depends on how warm the room is. It depends on how much you shake it. it depends on. It's hot as fuck in here. Yes. I'll be the first one it, to tell you. Uh, <laughs> it, it it depends on how what kind of strainer you're using. Um, it, it, there's a lot of factors here. Uh, there is, I I couldn't actually find a scientific article where somebody actually like did any science on this to see if. One is better over the other in terms of dilution. Um, I've definitely shaken with certain kinds of ice, and I've found my martinis to be cloudier. I think it really depends, ultimately, as, uh, like, do you care? Right, and that,
0: that, and that was actually going to be my next point, because the other thing are the bubbles, mm-hmm. the inherent effervescence that you get from shaking. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is the ultimate personal preference. I don't mind that at all. But even if you do, and let me pull up the article here because I have so many fucking windows open, Punch Magazine, which is actually a cocktail magazine. Mm-hmm. I get their email
1: blast. Awesome. Okay, they
0: yeah. actually did a comparison of shaking and stirring Manhattans. or Well, they did Manhattans and Martinis.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But for the Martini... They found that in general, if you let the martini rest after shaking, between fifteen and thirty seconds later, there were no bubbles. So even if you're really hardcore about bubbles, just let it rest a few seconds before you take your first sip.
1: You'll yeah. be
0: gone.
1: Yeah. Now, it, in the interest fair. of
0: full disclosure, in the interest of full disclosure, they had a panel of three taste testers, and two of the three preferred the start. So, you know, in the interest of full disclosure. Uh, I did actually find out, and I don't remember if it was on air last week or if it was when me, you, you and Nick were talking, but I found out why you're not supposed to freeze your liquor. Why? Because it has to do with the maximum coldness level of a cocktail. And if your liquor is frozen, the rest of the drink is going to chill less because your liquor is already as close to the maximum chill as it's going to get.
1: Interesting.
0: So there's less of a temperature change that's possible. But that also means that while it will be less cold, there will theoretically be less dilution.
1: Interesting. Now,
0: I haven't played with this. I didn't because I didn't find this article until after I was ready and I didn't have time to throw the bottle of Tito's in the freezer. So I don't know if it's true. But that is the official reasoning according to Cocktail Crate which is a monthly, you know, one of those uh, we'll send you a box of random shit companies.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I so I, I've i done shaken, I've done stirred, I've tried a bunch of different ways. I've done it with M- Manhattans, I've done it with martinis. I tend to just, I, I think I drink martinis and Manhattans differently than I drink other cocktails. And I, I think there's something to be said of, like, how did you how did you come to cocktail culture and how did you come to, uh, you know, my first real cocktail was a martini. I went fucking hard, folks. I didn't start with, you know, Jack and Cokes or anything like that. I was 23 and I went to a bar with a friend and they're like, what do you want? And I'm like, I don't know, martinis sound good. And that's how I started drinking. So uh, my first... Martini was stirred and I fucking hated it. And I was like, oh my God, I'm drinking rubbing alcohol. And then I just kind of was like, you know what? I'm stubborn. I want to figure out how to like this. And I just kept ordering stirred martinis until I liked them. Now, I do think it's interesting, and I'll say this and then we
0: can move on with that is, you know, I bartend, not at any type of, you know, fancy bar or even one that's particularly popular. But we get crowds on occasion, and we have regulars and whatnot. And I've made martinis, and I've made Manhattans. At Sacrilege Alert, I prefer a shaken Manhattan. I've had them both ways. I can't really taste much of a difference. And the biggest thing you'll read about whether it's martinis, Manhattans, old fashions, anything is the main difference between shaken and stirred. Shaken's easier and it's quicker.
1: Yeah, and, and I think there's something to be said for that, right? Like, if you're not in a high-end, crazy, hipster cocktail bar, you're going to get a shaken martini unless you ask different. Right. Bar, right? And to me, personally, if there's not that much of a difference,
0: there is a difference. I'm not going to sit here and say they're completely the same. I mean, everybody that's bullshit and everybody knows it but if there's not that much of a difference and it's easier, why not do that? Mm-hmm. And bartending, admittedly, not at a fancy bar, I have never had anyone complain about me shaking a martini or a Manhattan. They've complained about the level of vermouth I've used, <laughs> but they've never complained about it being shaken.
1: Yeah, Which, again,
0: is, fair. you know, it's it, anecdotal at best, but still.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've got the practical experience here, where, where mine is, as much schooling as I've had, it's all theory. Um, but no, I mean, I've been to bars, I've ordered martinis, I've gotten them shaken. I haven't been too fussy. Uh, but when I remember, I try to order them stirred, but we have a long list of questions here, buddy. We do. Um, do you want to do the questions to get to the history or do you want to
0: do the history and get to the questions?
1: Well, why don't we answer one more question and then get to history? Do it up. I think we've covered vodka or gin. Well, we have, but
0: have you heard this? Now, I I did not have time, because I discovered this relatively late this afternoon, and I did not have time to pursue it further, but apparently a vodka martini is also called a kangaroo? I feel like I have heard of that. I have not, and I feel like there's a story there that I need to look into. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, The the early history books uh, that I have briefly read I, I'm, it seems kind of up in the air, and you've probably got this research in front of you, but I feel like I've more often read that gin has been the primary early on. It has. Do you want to go into that? Let's go into that. All right, well, so uh,
0: like anything good and like anything as old as the martini, the history is greatly debated. <laughs> Generally, the most accepted story, for good or for bad, is that it actually came out of the town of Martinez, California. Now, all the different stories uh, of the Martini all date from roughly the Gold Rush, the California Gold Rush. So 1848, 1849, 1850, that era. That's where you get the term 49er from. Now, there was, uh, the story goes that there was a gold miner in Martinez who struck it rich, and he wanted to celebrate with a bottle of champagne. But being an Old West prospecting town, Martinez, of course, did not have such a drink. And the bartender decided to concoct another beverage made from ingredients that he had on hand, which at the time were gin, vermouth, bitters, maraschino liqueur and a slice of lemon. (laughs) Uh, This was originally called the Martinez Special. Now, supposedly, the rich miner and the rest of the people in town so enjoyed it that they tried to order it again later on in San Francisco and a few other mining towns, but, of course, they didn't know what the hell they were talking about because they weren't in Martinez. Now, the Martinez Special, quote-unquote, as it was called, first appeared in the bartender's manual of 1880. Mm-hmm. So that is the first point that we have a listed uh, recipe for what we believe was the original martini. Now, the interesting thing is a cocktail historian, which that's a job I missed out on.
1: Jesus. I need
0: that gig.
1: Hell, I'd hang up my uh, computer hat and go for that.
0: Right? Right. So, cocktail historian and listen to this, the greatest name ever in the history of names, Barnaby Conrad the 3rd. That's amazing. And I looked him up, he's a real dude. It's 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 not a gimmick. He's a real dude. Uh but Barnaby Conrad the 3rd has written a book entitled The Martini: An Illustrated History of the American Classic. And in it he argues that uh That is not true. It actually started in San Francisco, and the miner ordered it on his way to Martinez. So it's basically the same story, only they flipped uh, the two cities around. Likewise, there are stories that it originated in New York's Knickerbocker Hotel. I personally, as a historian, am less convinced of these just because New York likes to steal anything of historical relevance. I mean, they do it with everything, politics, sports, drinks, you name it. Hmm. Uh, There are also stories that the drink got its name from the Martini and Rossi Vermouth, which was the only real mainstream uh, stuff at the time. And, you know, again, the time period still adds up, 1840s, 1850s, but they just cut the Rossi uh, part off of it. And since that was the only thing really using dry vermouth at the time, it just became the Martini drink, and then eventually the Martini. So who knows I mean those are the main stories to me it would make sense because that is shit that you would have on hand at most traditional old west bars Uh, so I can believe the story of the Martinez special and there were a lot of pop up boom towns during the San Francisco gold rush all around the suburbs of California so if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck I'm inclined to believe that just on the face value of it nice nice but again, originally it was gin. It was not until the 20th century that vodka entered the
1: equation. That's that's really fantastic, and the Martinez is a classic uh, martini-style cocktail that we still make today. I mean, it's
0: right, it's and I mean you could see
1: instead, the but. you could see the
0: line. You know, you have the Martinez, you have the Martini, you have the Manhattan, you have the Monte Carlo. Like it's all in the same family tree.
1: It is, yeah. And we're we're going to talk about, like, the, the, the weird family of cocktails. Anytime you know, a bar half a town over would have, oh, you know, we, uh, we made this cocktail. Six months later, the, 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 the hotel across the, the way would have their own version, but it's sweet vermouth instead of dry. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, cocktail culture was born. Yeah, there's nothing like a uh,
0: business competition in a free market. Yeah. You get the
1: best imitators anywhere around. Now, I tend to like gin because I feel like uh, for anybody who does like gin, I feel like it's a nice forward cocktail of like the vermouth the is a good backbone for it. Um, but I, you know, vodka or gin, we could debate all day. Olives. OK, so here's the thing.
0: I, I like one single olive in my martini. Okay. I don't like dirty martinis. And I'll tell you what I don't eat it. I, I it's sitting. My glass is sitting in front of me with maybe a gulp or two of uh, the actual martini still in it. With the olive sitting on the toothpick, the olive to me is the cherry in a Manhattan. It just gives a little bit of flavor. It gives a little bit of balance. It gives a little bit of ambiance. The recipe is missing without it. But just like I don't eat the cherry in my Manhattan, the wife always takes them. I don't eat the olive in my martini. It's literally just there for garnish. It's there for flavor.
1: See and, unless the garnish is like a peel or an herb, I want to eat it. Like I, I feel like it's the dessert at the end of your cocktail. <laughs> and I fucking hate olives. I, I can't I, I can't do it. I've never met an olive I appreciated. The only time I like olives is on a Moe's Italian sub and that's it. I don't like them any other time. Uh, so I don't put an olive in my cocktails. At all, ever. doesn't doesn't matter what the fucking cocktail is. But I will say... See, I will say... Okay, go ahead. (laughs) I will say that um, I do occasionally amp up my martinis and turn them into Gibsons, and I will put in a cocktail onion here and there. Okay, see, what I was
0: going to say was the one fun thing about olives, even if you don't eat them, and I generally don't eat them either is there are so many varieties of olives, and there are so many olives that are stuffed with so many different things, you can put such a weird spin on a martini if you want to. It's true. You could have a, uh, olive stuffed with a jalapeno. You can have a olive stuffed with cheese. You can have whatever you want. Chances are it's in an olive, and you could put it in your martini. Also, I'm going to go on a bit of a rant here. Why the fuck is it so hard to find mart- uh, uh, olives in stores? Is I it- went this today, this morning. Well, at least in my store it is. Now, you've been to my grocery store. We went there hammered the last time you were here. <laughs> I remember. I know where almost everything is in that store. I could be in and out in 15 fucking minutes. Pisses the wife off to no end. I went right to where I thought the olives would be, you know, with the olive oil and everything else. No, they weren't there. So then I said, okay, they have a cocktail section with, you know, different mixes and things. They had pickled onions. They did not have olives.
1: <laughs> I had to go to the canned vegetable aisle. Why? Why is that a thing? That's messed up. Uh, I, sh- I shop at Market Basket most of the time, and they have, it's like the aisle right off of the dairy aisle, and it's olive oils, condiments, pickles, and olives. That's where they should be. Yeah. I think, uh, I think your grocery store is messed up. It, uh, in this case, it is. I have to agree with you. Now, part of the reason I really don't like olives is because they're associated with dirty martinis. Which are terrible. (laughs) I fucking hate dirty martinis. I don't get it. I I, I feel like there's a a, a metaphor here of, like, I can't stand to have, like, if I eat, like, ribs or something at dinner... As soon as I'm done with the parts of the meal where I have to pick it up with my hands, I run off to the bathroom and wash my hands. I can't stand to be sticky. I can't stand to, like, have my hands be greasy. I can't stand to be dirty. And I can't. I fucking hate dirty martinis. I go out of my way to not put briny shit in my martinis because, like, I had an experience. I You know, a buddy of mine was like, oh, you got to have a dirty martini. They're great. And he ordered them, like, with twice as much olive juice as a normal dirty martini does, because he just likes them briny as fuck. I almost puked on the first sip. I just, I didn't, it was so nasty. I have had many, 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 many drinks and cocktails and liquors, and that's the worst thing I've ever drank. Yeah, I... I think a lot of it, I mean, there are some people that just
0: genuinely like that taste for whatever fucking ungodly reason. I don't get it. I mean, but those people are one out of every 1,000 that actually orders a dirty martini. I mean, the bulk of it, and, you know, again, another hot take, the bulk of it is just, I don't like the taste of vodka, I don't like the taste of gin. I'm going to cover it. And it's the same reason you see these people that go into Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks or, you know, Tim Hortons or wherever the Careful. fuck. And they order 57 shots of liquid sugar and caramel and
1: this and that and the other thing. And then when you ask about it, they say, oh, I don't like the, the flavor of coffee. Then don't drink coffee. Oh, man. Coming into the fall, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Pumpkin spice latte and whiskey. Don't drink coffee. Leave <laughs> it for those of us. I actually, though, off
0: topic, I have a rye whiskey coffee. Uh, to review later on this season, but that's in neither here nor there. But yes. I think it's the same thing. I don't actually like martinis, so I'm going to drink. Originally, it was dirty martinis. That was the that was the first. That was genesis. Yeah. But now you have all the quote unquote teenies. You have the apple teeny. You have the Cosmo teeny <laughs> You have the choco teeny. The espresso teeny. Don't order a martini. <laughs> Just order something else.
1: Yeah, yeah, I honestly thought growing up, because, I mean, my parents were able to drink in the 80s and raised me starting in the, you know, late 80s to the 90s. So, like, I honestly thought martinis had to be some multicolored thing. Yeah. Like, martinis and margaritas in my head were both just these multi... I, I didn't have a real martini or a real margarita until probably about, probably seven years ago. There is a uh, pizza place near where I
0: work that is slowly, it still makes pizza and it still makes good pizza, but it's slowly morphed in the time that I've been working there from a pizza place to a college bar that also makes pizza. Wow. And because it's a college bar, when you go there to eat, they say, would you like to see our martini menu? And it's like, no, Martina doesn't need a menu.
1: <laughs>
0: you just say gin or vodka, olive or no olive, and then you move on.
1: Yeah, but even with that limited recipe, uh, a martini seems to be the one cocktail that everyone gets hyper specific about how they order it. That's fair. Like the the you know you order, um, you know a margarita. It's just a margarita. You order uh, a Negroni. It's just a Negroni. You order a martini, and people who are into martinis are like, "I want this martini. I want this much vermouth." I want, you know, this garnish. I want it shaken or not stirred. Like, it's just, you're giving them, like, a recipe on how to make your drink. Whereas most of us will be like, just give me a Manhattan. Thank you. Maybe we'll occasionally request the liquor that goes into it. But it does definitely seem to be, like, martinis. It's like gin or vodka. What gin or vodka? How much vermouth? How much this? What What do you want in it? That, that, that shaken or stirred. And it, it's... It seems to be one of those cocktails that people just get really super into. Uh,
0: I have to admit, uh, when I order a Manhattan, I do always have to specify straight up. Because if it's on the rocks, I do get stabbing. <laughs> but that's just me personally. And I do think it's interesting. And this kind of goes back to the history a little bit. But I left it out then. But now is a good time to talk about how you talk about everybody has a specific recipe everything that I looked up on, not just the history of martinis, but the, uh, you know, how to make them and the great debates and this and that, everything blames Sean Connery. Yeah. Everybody blames James Bond. Like, there was just, you know, apparently before Dr. No, everyone drank gin martinis and no one said anything. And then all of a sudden after Dr. No, boom, it was like, you know, the Great Flood of Noah, you measured everything before it and after it. Yeah. And admittedly, I was not alive And I think it was 1962 was Dr. No, it was the early 60s. I was not alive then, but I can't imagine for as big of a pop culture icon as James Bond was, I can't just see one throwaway line in one movie as being this quintessential paradigm shift that everyone makes it out to be. It's like all these people... It's like when Mad Men was out. Oh, everybody's drinking an Old Fashioned now because of Don Draper.
1: But No, an Old Fashioned is a classic drink. People like them. But to be <laughs> <Like> fair... <laughs> to be fair, though, Old Fashions are now one of the most popular cocktails in America because of Mad Men. They were popular before Mad Men. I feel like you and I are, are biased here. I... I, I, I mean, you talk to anybody who drinks an old fashioned, I'm pretty sure half of them say, Oh yeah, Don Draper. Well then they're a poser. Well, sure. That, but (laughs) I mean, I think what we're talking about here is that there is an established, there is an established history for cocktails, but like things in pop culture will make them, will bring them back to the forefront. And I think James Bond did that for the martini. Like I, I got to be honest, Mark. I love a martini. It took me a while to love a martini. It's not a. It's not an accessible cocktail. It's no. It's very spirit forward. It it's it requires you to have a fairly subtle palate to appreciate nuances in it. Uh, if you don't like it, you're going to dump a bunch of olive juice in it and ruin it. I mean, you are you going to order? this on the menu if you're new to cocktail culture you are gonna order that jack and coke that you know you're gonna enjoy well see i mean i think what i think that actually is is
0: what blows my mind i mean i can't and maybe it's just the way i was raised maybe it's just my personality of not giving a fuck but i can't see you know you know how much i love uma thurman You know, the next Uma Thurman movie comes out and she's drinking fucking tequila. I can't see myself just going out and drinking tequila. I hate tequila. (laughs) Like, I just don't understand that, that like, oh, this person in a movie or a TV show or a book did this, so I need to do this now. Like, drink what the fuck you like.
1: I think that, well, I, uh, this is one of those, it's the hard part of the debate because we don't have anybody that could represent it here. But, Mark, True. uh, we're huge fucking nerds. I mean, we also make, true. We tend to we're literally doing a niche whiskey podcast about you know things that we like because not enough people were talking about them when we were kids. So I, I think if you if you kind of look at uh the kind of people that we are, we tend to beat to we tend to march to the beat of our own drum, anyways. So we're going to make up our own minds how we think, and we tend to disdain popular culture. But if you're, if you're young, if you're uh, impressionable in some way, if you're the kind of person who's uh, looking for you know, uh, a community or looking for a way to belong, if you're looking for a way to reinvent yourself, and then James Bond, this uh, amazingly debonair action hero on the screen, orders a cocktail... And you're like, you know, I'm old enough to drink. I could start wearing dr- suits and ordering that cocktail. I have to imagine that's probably a, a touchstone that a lot of people do. I mean, how many, how many times have you picked up a, a hobby or bought a T-shirt or bought, you know, I don't know, a, a hat or something like that? Because you're like, it represents something that you like. True, True enough... Uh, if any of our listeners got
0: into martinis' because of the uh, uh, James Bond or if, if you got into cosmos because of what the hell was that show with sex that in the city chick that every sex of the city if, if you've gotten into either of those because of those write to us at the whiskeycast at gmail.com I promise I will try to be open-minded mm. um, but just you know I- explain explain the the uh, the reasoning behind it because i might not just be seeing something here
1: obviously i'm not seeing something here i, I mean i th- i think it's just fair to say they're cultural touchstones i mean th- look at the the rise of comic book movies and and how much more popular comic books have become look at like uh, we I already talked about that i'm not a fan yeah no but i mean <laughs> you know uh I, how many teen how many uh young boys and girls dressed up as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles back in the 90s. Like, it's, I think James Bond was a cultural touchstone, and even if it wasn't particularly influential on the two of us on this podcast, I still grew up with Pierce Brosnan as being my James Bond. Like, I definitely knew of him and had seen some of those movies. I wanted to like his movies, but aside from Goldeneye they were so bad.
0: And honestly, I don't even know if Goldeneye was actually good or if the video game just clouds my judgment.
1: Uh, my favorite James Bond movie hands down is Die Another Day. And is that, that the one pissed. with Halle Berry? I don't think so. Okay. No, it's not Halle, Halle Berry. It's the one where they uh they they like defeat um, helicopter with a motorcycle anywho we're not talking about james bond very much today
0: (laughs) we could do a whole episode on that but that's either here nor there all right so we're oh okay glasses i think is the next one on our list i'm sorry but if you have a drink that that has its own glass you drink it out of that glass
1: well i mean yes or no i uh i mean there is a martini glass that you and i would never use for martinis go on the, the the rock style martini glass neither of us would drink a martini out of it
0: no but if we were having a martini on the rocks I would but I would never have a martini on the rocks yeah so, so you would never do you know, that, do that. F-
1: fallacy but yeah I I tend to like coupe glasses because fuck tradition but um, I do own a set of martini <laughs> glasses I could have very easily used tonight they're very nice martini glasses too I just wanted to f- flout your, uh, your glass choice <laughs> Who are you trying to convince—the listeners or yourself? <laughs> I have one that I particularly like because it's pink. Did Did you name it? No, it's a martini glass. I don't name my glasses.
0: Okay, all right. Well, I mean, you know, you seem attached to it. I just okay. uh,
1: what's the uh, What's the ratio that you use? Vermouth to uh, three to one to, to three spirit. parts
0: vodka, one part vermouth. Oh, that's interesting. In the In the original. See, we we had mentioned this earlier. The original 1880 recipe that was published, this made me actually physically gag when I first read it. It was one-to-one. Oh, no, that's too much. And, I mean, I'm a man who actually enjoys a little bit of vermouth. I like vermouth in my Manhattans. I like vermouth in my martinis. I often get weird-ass looks. Uh, I've said I've had complaints when I've been bartending that I use too much vermouth. Um, But even for me, a one-to-one ratio made me gag. But in a lot of the articles I was reading, it said that it evolved, and now the quote unquote accepted, and I use that in quotation marks because everybody's different. But the quote unquote accepted ratio is two and a half to one to three to one. Yeah, I go three to one, but I go three to one for my Manhattan's too. Yeah, so no, that's, just me. I,
1: that's totally fair. I I most commonly see a three to one. Uh, the standard, the standard poor in most. M- most like city bars nowadays is uh, an ounce and a half of liquor. So I, ch- I tend to see Nick and Nora glasses a lot more because, uh, you know, if you get a mul- uh, full sized uh, martini glass, it, two ounces of drink is going to look kind of pitiful. Um, yeah. So I, I do see three to one. I see about an ounce and a half to a half an ounce of uh, vermouth. Uh, I also see two to one. I I like the two to one because I, uh, as much as I do enjoy gin, I don't want to just drink gin. Uh, so I like a little bit more vermouth to kind of balance it out a little bit. Um, when I drink other gin drinks, you know, like a G and T or a, um, uh, you know, it, I I like gin mules. Um, I know a lot of people prefer vodka in their mules, but I I like gin. Uh, I, I tend to kind of just let the mix decide what I do. Um, but yeah, I, I think two to one somewhere between two to one and three to one is what I've read.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to two. I mean let's be realistic here, and this isn't a knock on you. it's just the reality. I've got the better part of a hundred pounds on you. It's true. So two to one to you and three to one to me is probably about equal.
1: Yeah, yeah. Once no, it
0: gets all said and done. No, it's
1: fair. I'm I'm already pretty twirly uh, having finished my martini, so I, I don't need to have a second one tonight. <laughs> uh, all right,
0: where the hell else are we on this list here?
1: All right, so to kind of close out, I want to talk a little bit about the extended family of martini. Yes. Recipes. So I want to start with talking about the Vesper uh now the Vesper is uh the martini that James Bond orders in Casino Royale. Uh it, I did see that one. Yeah, it is a it is a different um and I'm I'm looking up what the ratios are just to make sure I I don't uh talk up my ass here, but um so a standard Vesper uh, if you look it up, it, the, the unique thing about the Vesper and the reason why it's my favorite martini, uh, is that it is vodka and gin. It, it crosses them.
0: Uh, it's like a perfect Manhattan.
1: It is. Uh, so a standard, uh, pour for a Vesper is, uh, it's usually a little bit more gin than vodka. And then instead of using, uh, vermouth, you swap it out with a different kind of aperitif, usually a uh, Lillet or a uh, Coke Americano. Uh, so the, the, I read a bunch of recipes. Uh, the one I'm reading here is an ounce and a half of gin, an ounce of vodka, half an ounce of Coke Americano, and then a lemon twist. Uh, and the thing that I like about a Vesper is what I really like about the martini. I like a, I like a really clean taste. I don't like any brine. And uh, whereas I tend to do an an optional lemon twist as my garnish, uh, the Vesper demands it. Uh, you got to get a Vesper. Um, yeah, you got to get a lemon twist in the Vesper. So I uh, I like a Vesper. It's still very spirit forward, but the Coki Americano kind of punches it up a little bit. Uh, you get a little bit more of um, it's a little bit of a thicker mouth feel, uh, but it, it's good. Uh, so check it out. Uh, but to kind of close out what we're talking about here. Uh, and, and I tend to live and die by the cocktail codex. I don't know if you've actually gotten yourself a copy yet, Mark, but it's just such a good book full of weird cocktail science. For as
0: many cocktail and mixology books and apps as I possess, that isn't actually one of them yet. I need to get on that.
1: Yeah. I might need to get it for you for Christmas. Um, so the cocktail codex is a great book and it posits. There's only six cocktails and every off, Every other cocktail is an offshoot out of those six. Uh, And I'll talk about what the six are at a a later point. Maybe we'll do like cocktail history and whiskey at some point. Uh, See, that actually would be interesting because I just picked up
0: a book entitled The History of the World Through Six Glasses.
1: Amazing. So we
0: could actually slam the two of those together, but go
1: on. That'd be great. So uh, when you look at the martini, uh, it's pretty basic. It's uh, clear spirit, vodka or gin. And vermouth, two to one, three to one ratio. Uh, If you swap the gin or vodka out for bourbon or rye, you swap the dry vermouth for sweet vermouth. And maybe add a dash or two of Angostura bitters, throw in a cherry, you get a Manhattan. In my opinion, the perfect cocktail. Yeah, it's a great cocktail. It's fantastic. It highlights the, the rye very well. I definitely prefer rye because I do feel yes. like the sweet vermouth, uh, the sweet vermouth in a bourbon just makes too sweet of a cocktail in my opinion, but you do, you need that bite. You do. Uh, and, and I mean, it's very easy to kind of translate, use very similar ratios, uh, use a three to one or a two and a half to one, uh, of the rye and vermouth. Uh, you throw a couple of dashes of Vango bitters in there. Uh, you throw in a cherry instead of an olive or a lemon twist or a, Uh, an onion Uh, if you go back to the martini and you cut the clear spirit down to one ounce and then you put in equal parts sweet vermouth and Campari you're at a Negroni Uh, I've never met a Negroni that was served straight up I've only ever seen them on the rocks Uh, I would recommend you drink it over the rocks uh, unless you are just a (laughs) very big fan of Campari yeah, Campari is, that's an acquired taste. Yeah, Campari uh, is, it, I can't get my head around it. It's, uh, I wish so hard that I loved it. Um, if you got rid of the clear spirit altogether and replaced it with like a Fino or a Montiato sherry, uh, you split the vermouth between both dry and sweet. You use orange bitters, you get something called a bamboo. I didn't. Act, I had never heard of a bamboo before, but it's in the the same family as a martini, uh, and it, it kind of gives you. I I have a friend who owns a, a wine bar in Exeter, and uh, he. Exeter, New Hampshire. I don't know why half of our listeners even know where that is, but it's, uh, it's here. Well, I got UK. really excited because the next town over to me is Exeter. And I was <laughs> like, wait, hang on a second, but go on. Um, and uh, he, he's got a wine bar, so he's always asking me about, like, wine cocktails. And I, I'm always like, I don't know if you've ever heard the spritzer. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> uh, so next time I see him, I can tell him about the bamboo because I'm sure he's got some nice sherrys uh, at, at the wine bar. Um, and there's just a lot of really great things you can do. If you uh, take just the standard martini and you swap the olive out for a cherry, you get a Gibson. Uh, yeah. If you uh, make sure that you've got the vodka instead of the gin, you swap the vermouth out for Rose's lime, you've got a gimlet. So there's a lot of really uh, great ways to play on the standard recipe. Um my general rule, and and I won't apply this to Mark because, you know, we want to end on a nice note here. If you're going to serve it straight up and you have the time to do it, try stirred. It takes a little bit extra effort. It doesn't make it quite as cold, but it's it's just different. Um, it, it, and if you're in a rush, you're serving up a lot of people, you don't have time to be stirring, you know, five cocktails for 30, 40 seconds a piece, uh, it, just shake it. It's it's fine. Um. I, I'm a, a, an elite heretical snob and I prefer my, my stuff shaken. But if I have a large group of people that I'm making cocktails for, you can bet your ass I'm not pulling out my my uh, fancy uh, crystal cocktail mixer.
0: No, I, I actually will agree with most of that. I definitely think you should try stirring. I think you should try shaking. I, uh, every one of our listeners should try both, You know, whether it be for martinis, Manhattan's, you know, uh, Negroni's, friggin' Monte Carlos, whatever the hell you prefer. Try both, compare them. I don't know if you necessarily want to compare them back to back, unless it's maybe a Friday night and you don't have anywhere to go. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. But, you know, definitely try them and see what you like. I mean, we had a lot of fun today. We've had a lot of fun all weekend, actually. Yeah. Kind of taking shots at one another, but that's the beauty of cocktails with certain exceptions. There is no real wrong way to do anything. It's true. I mean, it's it's a hipster thing to say, but it's true. Mixology is an art. It is, and you know, putting your own spin on different things is a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I love a good cocktail. I love. I'll talk about this stuff all the time. I have still yet to meet a Negroni that I loved, but that that might just be more my own personal preference.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a few, like, I I can drink a Negroni, but it's not something I'm going to order. Yeah. The same thing with, you know, oh, God forbid, a a Long Island iced tea. I mean, if somebody puts one in front of me, I'll drink it. I don't know if I'm necessarily going to like it, but I'll drink it. But I'm sure as hell not going to order it.
1: Yeah, I once saw a recipe for Long Island that was one ounce of each, and I'm like, who the fuck is walking home after that?
0: I wouldn't even order that or attempt to make that. No. I'm known for heavy pours, but no. Just no.
1: (laughs) It's insane. (laughs) Well, listeners, thank you for joining us this week on uh, Martinis and Whiskey. Uh, we, we were, we very briefly mentioned risk whiskey this week. Um, yes, but normal it,
0: service will resume next week. We swear.
1: Exactly. Uh, if you like this episode and, and you, uh, want to hear more of us, uh, you can subscribe or, or pre save us on your, uh, favorite listening, uh, platform. We're on uh, what? 30 different spots at this point. So pretty damn close. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, If you wouldn't mind, uh, save us on Spotify. Give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, That really helps us get up on the charts. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. Uh, If you have whiskeys that you'd like to recommend or topics you want to hear us discuss or you want to weigh in on the great uh, shaken or stirred debate, uh, we are on social media uh, at the Witten Whiskey Cast on both Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we've got a Gmail, uh, the wit and whiskey cast at gmail.com. There's an H and whiskey and no E in wit. Wait, no H. No, <laughs> <laughs> no you can H tell and he had a martini and an e ladies and, and gentlemen. <laughs> I told you I was twirly. Um, and we, uh, we release right here into your ears, 8 a.m. on uh, Friday mornings. So, uh, feel free to have us auto download and, uh, We'd love to hear from you on any of those places. Uh, Mark, what are, we, what are we doing next week? You know, I don't
0: know, because as usual, you know, has become the, one of the two bits for me at the end. You know, I brutally misspell our name, but you, you did that for me already. <laughs> but, but the other bit I usually do is I'm grossly unprepared for whenever you ask me that question. But I had a thought based on what we just said. Interesting. And I don't know if we could put this together, but if we could, it might be interesting. Pop culture and whiskey. Hmm, what influences have there been? I mean, we know of Mad Men. We know of James Bond. We talked a little bit about Sex in the City.
1: Interesting. You
0: know, it wouldn't have to be just whiskey, but you know, cocktail culture, drinking culture, mixology culture in general. What you know, from John Wayne ordering a sarsaparilla all the way up to you know. Sean Connery apparently setting martinis back 75 years, <laughs> according to these websites that I've read.
1: I think I, that would be interesting.
0: I mean, again, I don't know. You know, we might come to each other on Wednesday and go, no, we can't do it. <laughs> but uh, just sitting here, maybe sit there and go,
1: huh. <laughs> you know, that's there's probably an angle there that's really interesting. I, I mean, you hear about Hemingway, you hear about uh, Jimmy Stewart and... Um and uh, Frank Sinatra and 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 you know some some big names in, in pop culture that kind of paved some way here. but that would be interesting. We could talk about that from a historical side of things and I could kind of propose some pop culture cocktails for you' all to try. All right, so I think we may have come to a consensus. So possibly pop culture and whiskey next week. If we come with a completely different topic and we don't mention it at all, you know something <laughs> happened.
0: Yes, just ignore the topic behind the curtain, if that happens.
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, we want to thank uh, Nuno Henry Silva, as always, for our intro and outro music. Uh, we're we love gonna, you, Nuno. We love you, buddy. We're going to send you over to a SoundCloud in our show notes. So make sure you check him out. Uh, he's also got a, uh, a book of short fiction out on Amazon if you want to uh, check him out. I think he published it under the name H. Nuno Silva. So uh, check that out. And You're, do you have homework this week? Yes. Find out
0: from Nuno. I, I know, you know, with the pandemic and everything, he's kind of become a teetotaler because he doesn't drink at home. But find out from him if before the pandemic, if he drank martinis and if he did, how he drank them.
1: I will definitely ask him. I know he's more of a beer guy, but I'll ask him if he's ever had a martini before. Uh, But until next week, folks, cheers. Salud.